0: We worship the God who lives. we worship the God who lives. we worship the God who when the Lord to He opened the prison doors, he fought the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet, we shout out to praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord, our God is surely in His name, we won't be quiet, we shout out to praise, we shout out praise. i in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. So stand and sing with us this morning. In my wrestling and in my doubt. In my failure You won't walk out Your great love Will lead me through You are peace In In my my troubled sea sea. You are peace In my troubled sea In the silence You won't let go In the Questions, your truth will hold. Your great love will lead us through. You are peace in my truth. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning and happy spring. Um, It's actually not until March 19th if you follow the meteorological calendar, but by all evidences, we are truly blessed by warm weather in the end of February. It's great to be here today to worship together, and what a wonderful way to uh, start and just to be reminded of the goodness of our God, thankful that He made perfect provision for everything that we could ever need, everything that we could ever want. And before the uh, deacons come and we take our offering this morning, I'd like us to read from um, Jeremiah chapter 31. We'll begin reading in verse number 31. Read only through verse 34 and you'll find the words um, on the screen. And so you can follow along as we read together, but Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Father, gracious God, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to serve in this church. Lord, thank you for this family to gathered today. We just uh, like to take this time to give back with right here, Lord. We just pray that uh, it's used in your name. We just pray this. Day. Amen. Thank you.
0: Stand and sing with us, please.
1: Hebrews chapter 9, is where you turn in your Bible, we'll start there in verse 15. Thank you worship team for leading us this morning and if you think about just the flow of the song, um, the goodness of God is shown in the grace of God, which reminds us constantly that there's never a moment that we do not have a need for Him. It's only because of His grace and mercy that we are here today and that we can stand um, at all. And so we are grateful for that. Hebrews chapter 9, we'll start in verse number 15, but, you know, maybe you've come to the point of your life, you're old enough, where somebody at some point may ask you, do you have a will? Now, what they're really wanting to know is, do you have an idea what's going to happen with all of your stuff, when you're gone. Now, I'll be honest, the question becomes more um, common the older you get. There's probably a direct correlation to that. But it's very helpful. Now, if your last name was something like Musk or Bezos or Buffett, there would be a lot of zeros involved in that. If you're like the rest of us, there might be a house, maybe a vehicle, It might include the loose change that collects on your nightstand, or probably the real wealth of your family would be the money that your spouse has retrieved from the laundry. But either way you look at it, a will is an agreement or a promise concerning what is supposed to happen when someone dies. And as we'll see today, that when Jesus died, God's new covenant or promise took effect. And the benefits of it are far greater than any dollar amount could estimate. And the benefits last well beyond this life and into eternity. And they're freely available to anyone who believes in Jesus by faith. And we'll see... This, in the last part of Hebrews, last week, we talked about how when Jesus died, it removed the barrier between God and man, that we now have direct access and the ability to live godly lives. But today, what I hope we gain from this is that God made a new covenant with man and brought redemption and an eternal inheritance through the blood of Jesus. Now you 're going to hear that phrase "blood of Jesus" many times and You'll, you'll see that that is synonymous or equal to the fact that, that Jesus died for sins. Now let's read these verses together and then we'll take time to, to pray and we'll, we'll work through them. Verse 15 starts with a therefore, which points us back to what he had just finished talking about in verse 14. That Jesus offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so verse 15 we get, therefore, he is, Jesus, the mediator of a new Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who were eagerly waiting for him. Lord, we gather together as worshipers that are eagerly waiting for your return. But we are equally grateful for your sacrifice. We are equally thankful for the glory of your resurrection that we'll celebrate in a few weeks. And Lord, we are reminded as we look at your word of your great love for us, of the provision that you made that is perfect, and the commitment that you ask for each of us to make, by trusting in your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to see the wonder of this new covenant, the truth of redemption, and just a glimpse of the eternal inheritance that waits for us all through the blood of Jesus. We pray for your help, and we know that you'll bring it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's an outline in your bulletin as usual. Um, there's a few blanks to fill in. It helps you follow along. Um, I keep thinking sometimes I'll have four points, sometimes I'll have two points, but usually it just lands on three, and, I'm, and I don't really know why, um, but it's just the way it happens. And so there are three, and first of those three is this. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Now, first of all, we probably need to think about what a mediator is. To some of us, it's probably common because you may have been involved in in mediation. It's basically somebody that brings two people together. It's a a go-between. It's somebody that stands between two people and helps them to settle differences or to make an agreement. Now, in this case, the two parties are God... And man. You can read that. 1 Timothy 2 5 points that out. And here's the deal all people, all humans, are separated from God by sin. So there's a big problem between God and man. But on the same note, God desires for all people to be saved. And so there was a great need, there is a great need for someone to make a way to bring peace between the two parties. And so that's what a mediator does it brings two people together. Now the mediator we're speaking about specifically, though not named in the verse, but it says he is Jesus. First Timothy two five talks about it. Hebrews nine that we're reading, and then further along in Hebrews chapter twelve, it mentions it again. And as our mediator, Jesus stands between us and God and intercedes on our behalf. And he is qualified because he came to earth as a human. That's the the incarnation we just celebrated. Christmas a few months ago, and because God chose him or set him apart to be a great high priest. And Jesus mediates what is called here the New Covenant. Now, if you're like me and you, and you really like to go deep um, theologically, you, you probably think, well, heck, if there's a New Covenant, then there has to be an Old Covenant, right? Right? It's just really, you know, you think about this, and that's logically what we're getting at here, that there is a new covenant, and there was an old covenant. The old covenant was the law that God gave through Moses. We read about it. It's recorded in the Old Testament. It has an emphasis on what you should do and what you should not do. And there was an emphasis on work to please God, and it had a purpose that it revealed the human condition. Now, by admission, the old covenant was imperfect, and it was external. It served to point out sin, it was able to cover sin, but it couldn't remove sin or offer complete forgiveness, like we talked about last week. And it was merely temporary, it just pointed to something better that was coming. And so this old covenant points toward the new covenant where God's Saving purpose becomes a reality. God intended from the creation of the world to redeem man to Himself, and He did that through the promised Savior, the Messiah, who is Jesus. But even though we say it was new, and the writer of Hebrews says it was new, it actually was old before that. We read in Jeremiah 31, that it, this new covenant was promised long ago, long before Jesus. Verse 31 of Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. One that would not be like the first, that would not be written on tablets made of stone, but would be written on human hearts. And then the last part of Jeremiah 31, 34 says, This is the benefit. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Cleansed, conscious, forgiven sin. And while the Old Covenant was heavily based on the idea of doing things, on law and keeping the law, the New Covenant emphasizes God's grace, that amazing grace that we sing about. And it's proclaimed throughout the, the New Testament, in the good news, or what we call the gospel. And it's all founded in what God has done through Jesus Christ, His Son. I don't know who invented the clever marketing ploy of making products new and improved, but the hope is, when you see that, new and improved is that you're going to have something that works better. Maybe even lasts longer. Or does something that the previous version did not. And so in the New Covenant, we find that because Jesus is the mediator, that chapter 8 of Hebrews tells us that it's a better covenant with better promises. And we always have to remember that when the writer uses the word better there, that it's not just better until something better comes along. It's better in the fact that you can put it up against anything that ever existed or will exist, and you're going to always find that Jesus is better, His promises are better, and the covenant that He makes is better. And so that should bring our minds to the, this question, well, well, what started the new covenant? promised in Jeremiah. How do we have it now? The second thing you see in your outline is just that Jesus' blood initiated the new covenant. You see it in the last part of verse 15, this idea that death was needed to ratify the covenant or enact a will. You know, if you're really honest about it, the idea of inheritance is, is kind of this strange combination of grief and joy. There, there may be benefits and there are things that you're definitely grateful to receive, but you have this ever-present reminder that for this to happen, someone you love has died. It's an interesting journey. I, I think about it, about it often. And as you point that thought toward Salvation we have. And as we get so excited about the joy of salvation, there's this constant reminder that because of my sin, for me to have forgiveness and eternal life, Jesus had to die. And it says there, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those are called, being believers, may receive the promised eternal inhabitants. Why? Since a death has that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And what do they receive? What do we receive by faith in Jesus? This wonderful phrase, promised eternal inheritance and redemption from transgressions, which we'll look at in a minute. But the cost, since the death, has occurred. Whose death? The death of Jesus. Now the following verses help us to understand a little bit of the legal aspects of a will. A will only goes into effect at the point of death. It's just a promise or a statement of intent until someone died. It also tells us that the first covenant, the old covenant, was inaugurated with blood. And there's a description of the process Moses went through. You can read about that more if you want to. Also reminds us that under the law, almost everything was purified with blood. And that forgiveness of sins required the shedding of blood. Why blood? Something had to die. There was life in the blood. And it reminds us of the reality of covenant, it's a serious commitment. Because in the Old Testament, something had to die in their place. In the New Testament, Jesus died in our place. And the response should be love and obedience. So if we look at that just in specific, just regarding the Old Testament, what it says, under this Old Covenant, verse 22 says, according to the law, that blood was the primary means to purify. Now water was used on some occasions. There are ritual washings. There was a bronze laver with water in the tabernacle. But it was always blood. Always blood offered for the forgiveness of sins. And he lists all of these things. He builds this case from the Old Testament to prepare us for verse 23. And you see there, in verse 23, it's almost, they need, it's almost like they need a therefore. It says, thus it was necessary, or therefore. This is the reason why. And he talks about what Jesus did entering the heavenly sanctuary. Now, as you've read through this, as you listen, though, there was a, probably a phrase that maybe caught your attention. This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for. God's word spoken through Moses. It's Exodus chapter 24, verse 8. You can go and look at it and read it if you want to. But when Moses sprinkled the blood on the people to ratify this covenant, he spoke these words. It's very similar, intentionally similar, to what Jesus spoke at the Last Supper. He's in the upper room. He's with the disciples and He tells them as He lifts up the cup during the celebration of Passover and says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. We're drinking wine in a cup but it's pointing toward the fact that My blood will be shed out for yours. Jesus has spoken to them clearly about that many times and now it's about to come a reality. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, We hear that phrase. We take time to look back and we remember the cost of our salvation, the the depth of our sin, the distance we were from God, and how God bridged the gap through what Jesus did. We look at ourselves and we have opportunity to repent, to be cleansed and forgiven, but then we just look forward and we rejoice for what is going to come. And it all took place because Jesus gave His life for you. He shed His blood for you. And while the old covenant was sealed with the sprinkling of animals, blood on the people, the new covenant between God and man is sealed with the blood of Jesus. Listen to these words. It's from an old hymn. Precious, precious blood of Jesus shed on Calvary, shed for rebels, shed for sinners, shed for you and me. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus shed on Calvary. Oh, believe it. Oh, receive it. It's for you and it's for me. So, the death of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, was better, superlative to all the unnumbered sacrifices of animals offered in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. And so with His blood, the blood of Jesus, this new covenant was secured that promised eternal inheritance and a permanent cleansing from sin. And you see verse 23, thus it was necessary for copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, Talking back to what Moses did and the and the priests and the purification promised. Processes, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now he speaks about earthly things, heavenly things, speaking about the outside versus the inside. But as he talks about the heavenly things, he's turning the eyes of faith toward the hearts of us. The hearts of those that have been redeemed. There's the place where there was no possible way for the blood of any animal to go and and cleanse. A place that needed special purification by God. And as he says and speaks about the tabernacle with the holy place and the most holy place, which was a model of the real things in heaven, it all pointed toward the better sacrifice that was needed to purify the heavenly things. Now, I don't want you to read that and think heaven needed purifying, but it does point us to the need there was for cleansing. And the reason was not because of the location, but because of the people, that it was because of the association with sinful people that there needed to be cleansing. So verse 24 tells us that Christ has entered Not into holy places made with hands, not into the tabernacle of the temple, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So Jesus, the one who the Bible says is the author and the finisher of our faith, paved the way for men and women to enter into God's presence. Colossians tells us he made peace with God or reconciled us to God by the blood of his cross. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that Jesus brought specifically reconciliation. And we find that He is the one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And so after His death on the cross, Jesus entered into heaven to present Himself before God as the perfect, sinless, resurrected Lord, the sacrifice for our sins. And right now, Jesus is right there before God, and he's representing all who trust in him by faith. It's wonderful to think about. He's there all the time. He accomplished what no one else could ever do for themselves. And he has constant access to God. And he lives to pray for us. To offer up to God prayers for you and me. But we find that in his death, he offered himself only once. It was voluntary. It was singular. It came at just the right time in history. And it secured for all of time forgiveness and inheritance. And so as we look to kind of move forward, let me just give you two phrases to help summarize these verses. First, the blood of Jesus secures the new covenant relationship. We've already said that, that it took death to enact a will. And so it's Jesus' death that brought about the new covenant. It's His blood that secures God's promises to us. Second, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. We think about the hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? What's the refrain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Paul wrote to the Ephesians these words. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. And John reminds us in 1 John 1 that the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus' blood was spilled out on the cross for you and me, as well as every person who has ever lived or ever will live. He died so our sins and their sins could be forgiven. He died so that we could be together with God. Which brings us to the last part. Don't you always like to read benefit statements? You know and find out what you get out of something. What's in it for me? Now, unless it's a health benefits book, which nobody understands, um, they just you know and they stopped printing those years ago, and you just have to read them online. But you know, if you look at the list, this is what I receive. Well, here is what we receive. The new covenant promises forgiveness and an eternal inheritance. Now, in contrast to you and me, when God makes promises, He always keeps them. And when God forgives, He doesn't bring it up again. And His love never gets held back. And it never, ever depends on what we do. And so the New Covenant brought into effect by Jesus, brings all of this to light, all the fulfillment of the promises, all the greatest expressions of His love, and the fullness of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is complete forgiveness. Look at verse 26. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Notice those words, put away to remove, to get rid of. It's not to cover. It's not to push back. It is to put away or to deal completely with. The perfect sacrifice did what all the imperfect sacrifices could never do. And if His blood had not been sufficient, He would have been no different than those other sacrifices. He would have had to have suffered over and over again. But because He was the perfect sinless Savior and He willingly gave His life on the cross and He rose again, we have life eternal and hope unending. Look at the first part of verse 28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. came to earth as a man. He appeared in flesh on earth. The life He lived was perfect. It was without sin. And then He gave His life. The phrase there is the sacrifice of Himself. Why? To pay the price for sin. What sin? Past sin? Present sin? Future sin? The phrase there, to put away sin. But then Jesus didn't remain Dead, he rose again. Unlike any other will ever brought into effect, the one who wrote the will, who died to secure the will, now lives to make sure that it's faithfully executed to its fullest extent for all those who are called by his name. It's forgiveness, it's full and it's final because. He lives today and he's sitting at God's right hand to make sure that we receive all God has promised. I think that's a large part of what he does when he's praying for us. He looks at you and he says, you're his children and I don't want you to miss out on what I have for you. I'm praying for you. Don't hold on to those lesser things. Don't waste your time messing with that junk. Purify your hands, purify your heart. Come before God and repent. Receive what I have for you. He's died, he died. He lived. But here's, he lives. here's the even better thing: is He's coming back. Last part of 28. He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Oh, when Jesus comes back, full establishment of His. He won't come back where he won't come back bearing the cross. He'll come wearing the crown of King of Kings. He'll come to judge both the living and the dead. He'll come in order to make all things new. Oh, but to anyone called by his name, faith in Jesus, sins are forgiven. Thessalonians tells us that those will always be, they will always be with the Lord. And they'll receive, the writer of Hebrews says, is a promised eternal inheritance. Back to the will for a second. said earlier, it describes who gets what when you pass away. Mostly material possessions, and all of them are temporary in nature. The eternal inheritance spiritual. It benefits us in this present life. It benefits us into eternity. I want you to listen to the words written here by um, Dr. Tommy Lee. This inheritance involves an experience of divine grace both here and hereafter. It allows believers to experience the presence of God in their lives. It permits them to live with joy and delight and experiencing God's blessings. How do you receive that inheritance? Well, it's by faith. It's faith in Jesus. Faith that saves us by God's grace, that adopts us into God's family, and we become his spiritual children, and as Romans 8 tells us that we become heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. And this inheritance is eternal. Because the salvation that Jesus provides lasts forever. Listen to what Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, 4. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So what does that mean after you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you Spend the rest of your life and all of eternity in eternity, enjoying the wonderful benefits. Which brings us back to the phrase I mentioned at the beginning. God made a new covenant with man that brought redemption and an eternal inheritance through the blood of Jesus. When my dad passed away in 2020, all of a sudden, it was surreal, very beginnings of COVID was obviously saddening. There was one thing that stood out. My dad took care of things a long time before he passed away. Everything was spelled out in the book. This goes to Rusty. This goes to Gary, my brother. I want Deborah to have this. This is for Samara. But even on a grander scale, Jesus went to the cross everything God intended was already spelled out perfectly his promises a new covenant sealed with his blood why for you and for me all sins can be forgiven great things are waiting for you who you are now does not have to be who you are tomorrow or even five minutes from now. Now, I did not mention it earlier, but there is a reminder in these verses that every person dies, unless, of course, Jesus chooses to return before we do. And every person will be judged, which raises the question, what did you do with Jesus? So as we close this section, I want to just give you three things to kind of think about, maybe ponder. Apply. First, trust Christ to remove the guilt of sin. Maybe you made that step at salvation. You think, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. You know, I confess my sin and receive you as my Savior and my Lord. But sometimes we become managers of our sin and our lifestyle. And we forget we have a Savior. We try to manage our sin. We try to manage our appearance. We try to make people think that we're better than we are. And for some reason, we get the the lie in our mind that God is against us, when in fact, He is for us. And we need to be reminded constantly that we can trust Jesus to remove the guilt of sin, a clear conscience. Second, look forward to His return with hope. I hope you can see as you look in the things that are happening in the world, um, both here, you know, around us and in Israel, throughout the world, that everything points to the fact that that the return of Jesus is is imminent. We ought to be excited about His return, but we ought to be excited about the task that we have to carry out until he does return. So trust him to remove sin. Look forward to his return. And then lastly, live in the present. Live in the present. Don't get so excited about the future that you forget about the life you have to live now. How do you do that loving obedience? It's not rule-following that I get to follow you. I know your ways are good, and I love you, and I want to do what you want me to do. And it's sharing the good news. It's not being Billy Graham. It's not being Greg Glory. It's not being, you know, full of fancy words. It's just simply being a witness. I trusted in Jesus. He removed my sin. Now I have an eternal inheritance. Now I have joy and peace and love and hope and all these great things and I'll tell you just a second why that all happened. There was this man named Jesus. Jesus died for my sin. Oh, by the way, did you know that you're a sinner too? Everybody's a sinner. In fact, even your sweet little grandmother. Yeah. Even that little baby. You know, we're all sinners. And we all have a common problem. That common problem is called sin, and we can't do anything about it. You ever felt about it? You ever, ever did that? You ever done something bad and you felt sorry about it? Have you ever tried to get rid of it? You can't. It's worse than getting marker on your hand. You know, it it won't wash off. Well, here's the good news. God took care of that. Jesus died so that we could have our sins forgiven. Doesn't that sound great to be forgiven, to have a conscience that's clear and not walk around with a bunch of guilt and shame? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Well, let me tell you what else. Jesus died, and then they buried him in a tomb, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them. And so there's a place called heaven that's waiting for us. But here it gets even better, all along the way. God has great things in store for us. He has adventures. There's going to be hard times. You can't leave that out. You can't paint a picture that everything's going to be rosy and perfect. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be struggle. But the God who says, I'm the good shepherd, promises to walk with you through those things, which are called sometimes the valley of the shadow of death, all the way home. Does that sound like something is interesting? Does that sound like Let me tell you, it's so simple. You just got to stop trying to do it yourself. That you're wrong. Put your trust in Jesus. And allow him to start living for you. Share the good news. Loving obedience. Trusting Jesus, the one who is the mediator of the new covenant. Let's pray together. Thank you, O Father, for just your great love toward us wondrous, Uh, you would love us enough that you would willingly offer up the one that was your only son to pay the price for our sin so that we could have a relationship with you. But he didn't remain there. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. And he lived. have an inheritance that we don't deserve. But the one who is worthy died in our place so that we could be heirs of him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll spend some moments here in a second as music quietly plays just to maybe ponder those points in your mind. Maybe it is that morning, you've already trusted Jesus, but you just need to be refreshed in the idea that you can trust in Jesus to remove the guilt of sin. You don't have to carry it. You can release it to Him. Maybe there's not a lot that you see in the world that is hopeful, but maybe you just need to set your hope on what is to come. And is that hope grows that you have a desire to serve Jesus the rest of your days and to tell as many people as you can about why you're excited you're excited about Jesus this is a time where you can spend meeting with the Lord and'll be instruments playing slip your voices in your hearts to the Lord and trust him to do what only Still writing because I had a bum pen that didn't write. But we are excited this morning. Um, miss Anita. Um, Anita reigns um, who moved here a little while ago, not far from our church, from Nacogdoches, is here today to um, to say that she wants to, to join us and be a part of our church family. Um, and she um, she just said she's. Trusted in Jesus her Lord and Savior, she was baptized, and she just feels like this is where God wants her to be. So, um would just ask what your what your pleasure would be in, in receiving her into our our fellowship. Praise the Lord! Say praise the Lord! Yeah, or you can clap. We can clap. That's wonderful. Or we can raise. You. So, um, so Miss Anita is going to be up here, and um, after she finishes doing her homework. Um, You'll, um, you'll certainly want to come by and just welcome her and let her know how grateful we are to, uh, to have her be a part of our, our church family. Let me just remind you of a couple of things before um, we are going to sing and you can go. First of all, if you have not completed and turned in your, your bingo card from the Valentine party, you can do so. Deborah's waving one over there, and we have, um, we have gifts available um, there is a journal, a pen, and a keychain that Deborah is presenting over there. And so we had our first card turned in today, and we were able to give out prizes, and we have plenty for everybody. If you didn't get a card and want to do it, there's still some out on the table. It's just easy ways to express love, and you get five things five things on there, and you get the, the free gift. So please take part of that. Um, also, next, you believe we're already almost to March, next Sunday morning, March the 3rd, I believe, um, we will have um, our deacon selection. Um, there are two gentlemen um, that we are considering, um, Keith Barton and Brian Midkiff. Um, you hopefully should have received a, a letter during the week that had their names listed as well as qualifications for deacon. And um, we will have a called meeting at the end of our service um, next week to consider that. And we look forward to seeing what God will do. As, um, we look to re- add more servants to um, to our deacon body here at Cross Timber. And the last thing is um, if you are a can person, if you use aluminum cans, um, we have a way for you to put those cans to good use. Um, we have had for, for many um, years a, a receptacle out there where you can bring aluminum cans in, and, and so we have, we talked about it, we decided that we we're going to use those proceeds um, to help out Next Step. So if you want to bring your cans up here, if they're in a bag, and they're too big to put in that container. Don't worry about it; just leave them in the bag. But we do ask that you take the if you have a second to take the tabs off um, separately. Just break them off, put them in a Ziploc bag. Um, we pass those on to Ronald McDonald House, and they use those. And so we are um, we're excited that we can help recycle. So if you um, if you pick up cans, or if you use you know there's a can right there, we can have Glenn. Um, thank you. Um, <laughs> and I think I saw a Diet Coke can earlier, so don't leave without us getting that can. I'm just kidding. Um, no. There are great opportunities for us to help out um, and um, just contribute a smaller part to the great need there is for um, funds to help out Next Step Women's Center. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. March the 23rd, which is a Saturday, um, um, th- the family has scheduled a memorial service for Charlie Moore. Um there was, um, just because of distance and travel for family and busy schedules, um, they, they scheduled it later, but they, um, it will be 11 o'clock on Saturday the 23rd, and they are inviting um, the church family, not only to the service, but to stay for a lunch afterwards. Um, just a time to visit with Grace and the family, and she just said in her words that that's what Charlie would have wanted, was everybody just to be together. And so um, that's March the 23rd um, at 11 o'clock. They'll be in the bulletin the next couple of weeks to help you remember that as well. It's been good to, to be in the house of the Lord. If um, if it's okay with y'all, I'm going to allow Miss just to sit here and remain seated um, so she doesn't have to stand. But um, she's on the front row sitting by Glenna, so you're going to be sure and come by and welcome our greeter. But why don't you stand together with us? We're going to sing. And after we're done singing, you can leave.